I love getting to serve the kids and youth of the church, but what I love even more is getting to serve alongside you guys. Uh, really, you guys, uh, we could not do our kids and youth ministry without our awesome volunteers. Uh, and another thing, man, we have some awesome prayer warriors inside this church. And so we have some people, man, that are praying for these kids uh, and their problems, their family situations, everything that's going on in their life week after week. And I will tell you, man, this is something that is so important to them, and you cannot even count the amount of times that we've seen people pray for these kids and their lives change. They've just changed. And so can I encourage you going into this next year? Man, maybe you're, you need to uh, serve in kids or youth ministry, but maybe you're past those years. You're like, man, I can't do teenagers. I can't do kids. But you can pray for them. You can absolutely pray for them. So please, this next year, man, pray for this next generation because I truly believe that they can change the spiritual landscape of Moses Lake. I absolutely believe that. So please, this next year, man, whether you're serving with us or whether you're praying with us, man, partner with us to serve this next generation well. It's going to be an awesome year. I'm looking forward to 2024. Anybody else? Like two people? Awesome. That's okay. You know, it, was, it felt like a long year. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, but it was a good year. It was a good year. Uh, so looking forward to 2024, this is kind of what I want to talk about today. I, I want to try to give you something for 2024. Uh, but in order to do that, I need a little bit of permission uh, to be a little bit brutally honest, uh, to maybe give you some things that you might not like to hear. Uh, do I have permission to do that this morning? Can I, can I be honest with you? Uh, today is probably not going to be a sitcom sermon where you leave the sanctuary and you're like, everything resolved, and it's just great, and I feel so happy, and I'm just so glad I went to church this morning. Uh, this is probably not the sermon for you if that's what you wanted, um, but I'm really going to try to give you something for 2024, give you something to chew on, something to focus on for 2024. And the title of today's message, if you're taking notes, which if you're not taking notes, you should take notes. Uh, the title for today's message is, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, and I love Christmas time uh, for one reason and one reason only, and that is that we get to celebrate the birth of our Savior. If I'm being honest with you, uh, Christmas is not like a fun time of year for me. It really isn't. Like, I'm not all about Christmas, but I love the celebration of our birth of our Savior. I love it, but I could do without pretty much everything else. And so when it comes to Christmas, I mean, I have a hard time every year getting in the Christmas spirit, quote-unquote. I struggle. I struggle a lot. And so this year, man, we were going through the motions. We were having all of our Christmas parties. You know, we set up our Christmas tree. We got all the gifts. They got them all wrapped. I wrapped some of them so they did not look good, uh, but they were wrapped. They were wrapped. They were under the tree. We got everything done. And I remember I, I, I'm getting towards the end of our quote-unquote Christmas sprint uh, as we had like four Christmas parties uh, in the same week. We get to the fourth Christmas party, and I'm just talking a little bit about who Jesus is. I'm talking about the birth of our Savior, and this question keeps coming up to me. Who is Jesus? Who is he really? Like, who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to your life? And today we kind of want to focus on some of the names 
that Jesus has. Today, I'm going to focus on two things uh, that we call Jesus, and I'm going to kind of look at the relationship between them. The first word that I want to look at that we call Jesus is our Savior. We call Him our Savior, right? Now, this is something that comes up quite frequently when we're talking about Christmas, is that our Savior was born on Christmas, right? He's the, the hope of the world, the light of the world. He was born on Christmas, our Savior. And so we get some context for why Jesus is our Savior in Romans 10, uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, where it says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This is where we get the context for salvation. This is where we get some context for Jesus being our Savior. It says that we have to profess that He is Lord, and we have to believe that God raised Him from the dead. We do that, we're saved, according to this verse. I like to contrast this verse with another verse, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The reality of salvation is that Jesus is our Savior, but what can he really save you from if he isn't the Lord of your life? What can Jesus really save you from? Can he really be your savior if he's not actually the Lord of your life? I like to put it in this perspective. I have two kids, right? I have Scott, who is almost four. It happens in January, and that's not okay. Uh, And then I also have Seth, and he's almost two, and that happens in February, and that's also not okay. And the other day, I was preparing for this sermon, and I was looking for a sermon illustration, and it just, it just happened. I was like literally practicing my sermon in the nursery here. And Seth was in the nursery with me. And he's playing with this toy. And, and there's this toy that I'm sure most of you have known. It's been around for centuries. It's like this little puzzle, okay? It's this ball. And inside the ball, there's a whole bunch of different shaped holes, right? And then you have a bunch of shapes that need to go inside the holes, right? But here's how this works, right? You put the circle inside the circle, and it works. And you put the square inside the square, and it works, right? And it's, it's beautiful when things work together like that. Now, here's the thing. Seth is a master of chaos, okay? So here's what he decides to do. He's going to grab the square, and he looks at the square hole, and he goes, nah, that's not right. And he flips the ball over to the circle hole, and he's holding the square piece, and he goes, this will work. And so he starts trying to shove the square in the circle hole, and how many of you know that's not how this works? It, do- it doesn't work well. And so he begins to get frustrated, and he begins to growl, and he begins to get angry. And I get to go over there, and I'm like, hey, buddy, like, let's just flip the ball over. And as I grab the ball to flip it over, guess what he does? Because he just, he's so audacious, he smacks my hand. He just smacks it. Man, he smacks my hand, yells at me, 
As much as a baby can yell at you, it wasn't really, you know, words. It was just more noises. And he gets angry at me because I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to guide him to the correct position, to the correct posture. And it's not working. And the reality is, I think a lot of Christians, we're like the same way. We got our puzzle piece. We got our puzzle. We're trying to make it work. It's not working. And Jesus is like, hey, let me help. But we're just like, no! Don't touch it. I like it this way. You know what I'm saying? I've been doing this for a long time, Jesus. I've been spending like 10 minutes on this. And if I can't get it myself, I'm going to be really frustrated. This isn't going to work very well. The reality is, I think a lot of us, we tend to kind of have infantile faith when it comes to Jesus actually being the Lord of our life. We love Christmas. We love to celebrate the Savior. But when we want to talk about the Lord, it's a little touchy. When we want to talk about him actually controlling portions of our life, that's a little touchy. And that's really what I want to talk about today, because the reality is, man, I can't save Seth if he's not willing to let me touch the toy and help him. Just like God, really, what can he save you from? Can he save you from your anxiety, your depression, your frustration, any of that, if you're not willing to let him actually control some portions of your life? If you're not actually letting him call the shots in your life, if you're not actually letting him be the Lord of your life, what can he really save you from? And I would beg to say that Jesus, if he's not the Lord of your life, can't change much. Like, really, like, you want to see life change. Life change happens when Jesus is the Lord of your life, when he's the sole focus of your life. But for a lot of people, he's a secondary thing. And so today, I want to look at Jesus as Lord of our life. And what does it actually look like for Jesus to be the Lord of our life? I would say, if you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you need to be a disciple. You need to be a disciple of Jesus. And so today, this is where I'm going to spend the majority of my day, is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? We get context for this in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. It says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? I love this verse. Uh, but does anyone, you guys read C.S. Lewis? Anybody? Is it just me? I know some people. Okay, cool. So C.S. Lewis actually has uh, a summarization, or as I like to put it, uh, in his words, what this verse is saying. And I want to read that real quick, because I think it gives some better context to this. It says, give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes, Every day in death of your whole body in the end, submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, 
and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. Everything else thrown. And the reality of being a disciple of Christ is giving up absolutely everything to follow him. The way I look at this, I can break this down to four marks. If you have four marks, you can be a disciple. If you have these four marks, I can break it down to four marks of a disciple. This will be perfect if you're taking notes because they all start with P, so it should be easy for you to remember, okay? So I'm going to tell you all four, and then we're going to kind of break them all down. The first one is proximity. The second one is practice. The third one is progress. And the last one is priority. And I wish I could take full credit for all of those. But this actually comes from one of my old youth pastors, uh, who was much better at breaking down the Bible than I. But he found four marks that he consistently sees in the disciples. And we're going to talk about all four today. So the first one we're going to talk about is proximity. Proximity. We should have the definition of proximity up there, which is nearness in space, time, or relationship. Nearness in time, space, or relationship. We're going to talk a little bit today uh, about what it actually means to be close to God, both in relationship, both in time, both in space. So uh, we're going to look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, and I think that gives us great, uh, great, uh, what do you want to call it? great uh, perspective. There we go. It's another P word. Uh, Proximity. John chapter 15 verses 1 through 8 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's a section in there that says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I tend to take issue with this because I'm like, Jesus, nothing? Nothing. I can't do a single thing beside you. I'm pretty sure I could walk without you, Jesus. Like, I, I think I could do it. I don't want to test it, but like, I, I, think, I think I could do it. Nothing. Nothing. He says nothing. You can do nothing apart from me. And can I give you a, a better definition of this? When he says nothing, he means you could do nothing productive. Nothing according to purpose. Nothing according to, to, to anything apart from Jesus. Man, you can go, you can go screw up your life, you can go mess up, you can go do all kinds of things that aren't on purpose, that aren't on brand, that aren't on vision, but if you want to live your life for Jesus, if you want to see fruit in your life, you have to do it with him. 
You can't do it by your strength. You will burn out. It will not bear fruit. You have to do it with Jesus. And now, this can be a freeing statement. It can be. Because if you think about it, if my job is to just stay attached to the vine, that means the results are Jesus' job. This can be a freeing statement. That man, all I have to do is stay attached to the vine. All I have to do is focus on Jesus. All I have to do is make sure I'm following him. All I have to do is stay attached to the vine and do what he tells me. If I do that, then the fruit is his job. It can be a freeing statement that the results aren't up to you. But oftentimes we read this verse and we take this as like a fence. I don't know about you, but like, Jesus, I can do nothing? Yes, you can do nothing. So the results aren't yours. The results aren't up to you. The results aren't because you're just so awesome and so skilled or because you're not awesome and you're not skilled. They're because you stayed attached to the vine and the vine did the work. Your job is simple. Stay attached to the vine. It's that easy. I say that easy. It's not. Man, you have to put in work. You have to put in effort to stay attached to the vine. You can't just coast. It's not that easy. But whether the results are good or the results are bad, if you stay attached to the vine, you're doing the job you were supposed to do. You're fulfilling the purpose you were supposed to fill. There's a, there's a saying, it's an old Hebrew saying, and it goes, let you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. And what this was, was for disciples, if you were a disciple, what your day looked like was simple. You woke up with your rabbi, you found him, and wherever he went, you followed. Whatever he did, you helped him. That was your job as a disciple, was to follow that person and do what they said to the letter. It was that simple. But the reality is, is what they would do is when they were walking on roads and things like that, the roads were not like clean. The roads were not nice. They were dirt. There was all kinds of things in the dirt. And when the, 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 the rabbi would walk, they would kick up dust. And the hope of the disciple, the blessing, what it is saying, is that lets you follow your rabbi so close that when they kick up dust, it covers you. Can I tell you, staying attached to the vine might get you dirty. Because can I tell you, where the vine's going to go sometimes is going to be where messy people are, where gross people are, where stinky people are, where their attitudes are not so nice. Can I tell you that where the vine goes isn't always going to be where you want to go, but your job is to stay attached to the vine. Can I tell you, there's been so many times where the vine was calling me to go somewhere I didn't want to go. And I had, I had a choice. I could come detached from the vine. Man, I could get thrown in the fire. I could go try to do it myself, or I can stay attached to the vine, even if it means I'm going to have to go be around stinky people, even if it means I'm going to have to go by stinky attitudes. Man, God is going to call you to places where you don't want to go. If that has not happened yet, man, blessed are ye, but it's going to happen. He's going to call you a place where you don't want to go, and you have a choice. Are you going to stay attached to the vine? Are you going to stay within proximity, or are you going to come detached and be good for nothing? It's a hard truth, but I told you it wasn't going to be a sitcom sermon. 
You have a choice. Are you going to stay in proximity? The next section I want to talk about is practice. I want to talk about practice. Practice says the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to theories relating to it. As opposed to theories relating to it. So when I look at practice, what this means to me, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we actually need to do the things that Jesus did. When Jesus was walking here on earth, when he was doing ministry here on earth, we need to do those things. If you are a disciple of someone, your goal is to do the things that they're doing. You don't want to follow someone that you don't want to replicate. Like, let me make this clear. If you're today, here today, right, and you are following or taking advice from somebody that is not where you want to go and is doing things that you don't want to do, you are making a mistake. The goal of discipleship is to actually be following someone, to actually be learning from somebody that is doing the things that you want to do. That is the goal of discipleship. So if we want to do the things that Jesus is doing, if we want to be disciples of Jesus, we actually have to do those things. I have a list of 10 things that I saw Jesus do on a consistent basis in the Bible. I'm going to give you my list of 10. Ready? He preached the gospel. He taught the way. He healed the sick. He casted out demons. He ate and drank with people far from God. He pursued justice. He was a peacemaker. He prayed. He prophesied. And he stand up against political or religious corruption. Political or religious corruption. I look at this list and I go, yeah, Jesus, there ain't no way. <laughs> like, I love you. I want to follow you. I want to do what you're telling me to do. That's a big list. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, but I don't know if I can do all 10 of those things. And so for a lot of us, you're like, yeah, maybe I can, I can do a couple of those. You know, I can, I can eat with people far from Jesus. I can pray. I can do a couple of those. But the reality is Jesus did all of these. And we like to use the excuse, well, I'm not Jesus. Yes, we can get past that. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Cool. We're good. We, we can get past that. I hope so. I'm not Jesus. I get that. I get you're not Jesus, but do you understand that what Jesus did on earth, he tried not to do in his own deity, meaning in his own power, meaning by his own strength. Actually, what's a really good Bible study is if you read through the life of Jesus and you look how many times it says, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Jesus did things not by his deity, but by the Spirit. The Spirit would lead him places. The Spirit would do miracles. The Spirit would do these things. And the reality is the same Spirit Jesus has access to is the same Spirit you have access to today. So to say, man, I'm not Jesus. Cool. Agreed. But that's not an excuse to say, well, I can't do these things. I mean, Jesus did it by the Spirit. There's some, some, some examples. I'll, I'll give you, rattle them off real quick. He was conceived by the Spirit in Luke chapter 1, verses 35. He baptized and anointed through the Spirit in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, and Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He was led by the Spirit in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. He was lifted in crucifixion through the Spirit in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, and raised by the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. This is a small list. There's so much more stuff in there. 
He was doing it by the Spirit. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must do the things that he did. Cast out demons. Eat with sinners. Pray. Prophesy. Teach. Preach. Those are the things you are called to do. Those are the things that you have purpose to do. Are you going to put it into practice, or is it just going to be a method or a theory? Man, you can do it, not in your own strength, staying attached to the vine and by the Spirit. The, the, third, P, the third mark that I want to talk about is progress. Progress. So not only do we actually have to practice the things, we actually have to move forward and onward towards a destination. Now, I don't like the definition that Webster gives me. Because within your walk with Jesus, can I tell you, it's not a destination. Like, your walk here on earth is not a a destination. It's more so a direction. Like, if at any point in your walk with Jesus, you get to the point where you're like, I made it. You need to check yourself. (laughs) Because likely, you've not. Because we just got over this, right? You're not Jesus, so you've not made it, okay? Like, If the goal is to become more like Jesus, it's not a destination. You're never going to be perfect, but it is a direction that we are going. There's a section of Scripture in James. It's James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 that we're going to read real quick. And it says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Can I tell you, man, I love testimonies. I love testimonies. And when I was a younger Christian, my favorite testimony was that, was that person that came from a messed up life. Man, they were doing drugs, they were doing crime, whatever it was for them, and then they got saved and their life was radically transformed by Jesus. Man, I still love that testimony, but the longer I've been following Jesus, the testimony I've started to love even more, especially as a parent, is the keeping power of Christ. The one where, man... They followed Jesus every day of their life, where they didn't teeter, where they didn't fall off, where they were solely focused on Jesus every day of their life. I've begun to value that a lot more than I value great life transformation. We need both. But man, with me working with with these kids and these youth students, man, some of your kids and your students, what I want to see for them more than radical transformation, is for them to actually experience the keeping power of Christ. That is what I want their testimony to be. Not one where they veered off and came back. Not one where they decided to go do something else and came back. But one where Jesus kept them. Because the reality of a walk with Jesus is the goal is not for them just to to leave and come back. It's not the goal. The goal is for them, just like it says, to every single day lay everything down at the feet of Jesus and walk with him. 
Man, and that to me is such a great testimony. Because if laying our life down with Jesus every day and walking with him doesn't actually keep us with him, I think that gives a very, very bad picture of what faith is supposed to look like. And I think we've gotten a bad picture sometimes because we think laying everything down for Jesus is one thing and not what it actually is. Well, like, I went to church on Sunday, but then I didn't, like, really talk to anybody or read my Bible or pray the rest of the week. Or I saw that congregant in the grocery store, and I knew I should have went and talked to them, but I don't like them very much, so I just, I didn't. I said I was going to be honest. Can we be honest that for a lot of us, laying everything down has looked like, I'll lay what I want down. And what progress says is, man, it's every single day, every single day, getting up and saying, man, I'm going to lay it all down. And can we be honest that for some of us, we said we were going to do that, but we didn't even know what that meant. Can we be honest that some of us today, you're like, man, I thought I was following Jesus. I don't know anymore. If it really means laying everything down, all my wants, all my desires, everything at Jesus for whatever he decides he wants for me today. That's an everyday thing. Can we be honest? It's not a one decision and then you're good. Like, oh yeah, I, I laid everything down once and now I'm good. No, it is every single day. Can I tell you one of the most pervasive issues that I see in our young people is anxiety. It's one of the most pervasive issues I see in our young people. And church people like to tell them, lay it down at the feet of Jesus. And that's great advice. The problem is they make it sound oftentimes like it's a one-time thing. Can I tell you, just because you lay your anxiety down at the feet of Jesus once doesn't mean it goes away forever. It's going to happen again. What that that means when I say lay your anxieties, lay your feelings, lay it down at the feet of Jesus, that means when it comes up, you lay it down every single time. That means when, when you begin to feel the anxiety, when you begin to feel the depression, when you begin to feel the thoughts coming inside your head that you know are going to lead you down a wrong path, that you immediately go to Jesus and you lay it down. It is not a, oh, I did it once, so therefore I'm good. It is an everyday thing, pursuing the feet of Jesus, walking within proximity. And when we do that, that's when we see progress. Progress is not a one-time decision. Being a disciple is not a one-time decision. It is an everyday decision. And I've began to value, man, progress over time so much more than flash in a pan. Man, flash in the pan might bring in the numbers. It might look pretty. But man, I value long-term progress. That's why I believe in youth and kids ministry. So we can lay a foundation of keeping power of Christ. And we can see that kind of testimony. Man, I believe with that testimony, it's going to look different in here than it does in the world, and that will be attractive. That is the gospel being attractive, because it is attractive. But can I be honest, when I look at God's people, sometimes we don't live that out. I want to see progress over time. The last section of Scripture that I want to look at in the last topic is priority. 
priority. We're going to look in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, and it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom. This is a challenging portion of Scripture. Because if I'm just looking at this, I go, okay, so, to summarize this, Jesus, I can't have a house. I can't go to funerals. And I can't say goodbye to my family? Where, what do you mean? Like, the audacity, Jesus. What do you mean by this? And can I be honest with you? He's not saying you can't own a house. He's not saying you can't go to funerals. He's not saying you can't say goodbye to your family. But what he is discerning within these people is things that come above him. With the first one, man, this, this, this is what's crazy to me. The, the man is coming to Jesus, and he's saying, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus doesn't, like, high-five him. He doesn't, like, embrace him in a hug or, like, praise his, like, you know, zeal for coming and following him. He's like, hey, man, I I don't even have a place to sleep most nights. And what I think he's doing is he's discerning that while this man wants to follow him, you know, he, he, he's afforded certain luxuries in his present life that don't really align with the cause that Jesus is going for. But Jesus is saying, yeah, I, I, get, I get you want to follow me, man. I'm so excited that you want to follow me. But hey, like, let's just have a gut check real quick. Are you cool with sleeping on the ground? Are you cool of going places where there's no AC and no heat? Like, are you cool giving it all up? And I think for some of us, we're like, eh, I'll pass. Like, if Jesus today, I'm not saying he is, but if Jesus today said, sell everything and come follow me, are you doing that? Most of us, probably not. Minus literal, like, physical representation, Jesus is right there, like, has the deed to your house, in, like, in his hand. You're not doing it. You're like, oh, no, that's just, it's, it's the mashed potatoes that I ate from last night that probably weren't good. <laughs> it wasn't Jesus. Most of us, man, if Jesus comes at your comfortability, you're not doing it. Can I tell you, a walk with Jesus is uncomfortable. I am a textbook introvert that does not like to talk to people, especially in crowds. And Jesus called me to be a preacher. Jesus, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand this. I have to ask him this question every single morning. I'm like, why did you give me the job you gave me? Do you, do you really want me to do this? Yes? Okay. I'm following you. I'll abandon my comfortability you. 
Second guy, Jesus calls him and says, hey, follow me. And he says, Lord, let me bury my father. Let me bury my father. And that seems like a very reasonable request. What you've got to understand about the language that's going on here and the customs is that in order for this guy to get his inheritance and his birthright, he is supposed to be at the right hand of his father when he dies. When he does that, that is how he gets all of his inheritance. That's how he gets all of his money. That's how he gets everything. So he's telling Jesus, not just let me go bury my father, which is a respectable thing to do, but also like, hey, like I have something coming to me. I have some money coming to me. If I just stay on this path for just a little bit longer, I can do better. And Jesus is saying, no. You don't understand. I don't care what you're about to get. I don't care about you following me later. I care about you following me now. Nothing comes before me. No slight detour, then I'll follow Jesus. No, follow me now. And for some of us, man, you're like, yeah, I'll follow Jesus tomorrow. Tomorrow's 2024. I got this. I, I can wait till tomorrow. Jesus says, no. You're not following me if you choose to follow me when you want to follow me. You follow me when you choose to follow me in the moment, right now. Do you really want to follow Jesus if you want to follow him later, not right now? Or do you just like the ideas or the perks or him being your savior or salvation or whatever it is? Or do you actually want Jesus to be the Lord of your life? And the third one says, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Can I be honest that some of you, and if Jesus really called you to follow him and for him to be the Lord of your life, and that required you to give up some relationships, and that required you to give up some friendships, you wouldn't do it. And can I tell you, man, some of the places where Jesus is leading you, man, there's certain people that aren't going to come with you. And there's certain people that, man, they're not called to where you're going. And for some of you, man, you've gotten so caught up in the people that you have to leave behind gotten so caught up in the people that used to be in your life that you're not moving forward anymore. And that you're not focusing on what Jesus has for you in the future. Jesus is saying simply, man, hear his heart. It's not that he didn't love those people. It's not that he doesn't love you. But he has more for you. And you putting your hand to the plow and looking back isn't going to work. Man, for some of you, it's your future. Man, you have like dreams and ambitions for your future. And you, and you know you've, got, you've had this dream since you were a kid. And maybe God's saying, man, that's not where I need you to look. I need you to look at what's happening now. I need you to put your hand to the plow now and move forward. And no matter what the situation is for you, I think we can all be honest that there are things in our life that we put above Jesus. There are people in our life that we put above Jesus. 
and, and the worship team, you can come up, and we're, we're going to do some response here in a minute. But I had a thought as I was, uh, I was preaching a couple weeks ago, and I was preaching the Christmas story, and I had this thought, and I was reading through it, and man, the shepherds, they came to Jesus, and they had all these words to, to tell Mary and, and Joseph of, of all these things that these angels had told told him about Jesus. And then there's these wise men, and, and they come, and they have all these beautiful gifts for Jesus. And I was reading through that the other day, and in the middle of a sermon, and I had one direction I was going to go with it, and as Jesus tends to do, he's just like, no, you're actually going to go this direction. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, I'm like, man, like, the shepherds had eloquent words for you, Jesus. The wise men had beautiful gifts for you, Jesus. But what do I even have for you? Man, what do I even have to give? I don't have gold. Man, my words aren't eloquent. They barely get out of my mouth most of the time. Man, what do I have to give you? Lord, I'm tired. Lord, what do I even have to give you. I don't feel like I have energy. I don't feel like I have joy. What do I even have to give you? And so simply in that moment, Jesus was just like, man, all that you are is all that I want. And at first that was a relieving statement. And then I thought about it for a second and I go, that's not relieving. Jesus, you want everything that I am, every piece of it. And the response is simple, yes. And Jesus doesn't just want to be your Savior. He wants to be the Lord of your life. And man, when he's the Lord of your life, man, he can save you from depression. He can save you from anxiety. He can save you from all troubles and cares of this world. I can tell you that for a fact. you can't say, God, man, I would love for you to heal my anxiety. And when he points out something that you need to give up to him, go, eh, but not that. Man, that thing's causing you anxiety. That relationship's causing you anxiety. That friendship's causing you anxiety. That habit's causing you anxiety. Do you want your anxiety gone, or do you want control? Oftentimes, the answer is, man, I want control. My hope for 2024, and isn't just a church that's saved, not just a church that has a Savior. Man, that's awesome. But it's a church that has a Lord. Jesus demands lordship of your life, and that's an audacious statement, but it's really not when you think about I've seen people give up absolutely everything for a relationship. I've seen people give up absolutely everything for money. I've seen people give up absolutely everything for just about everything in the world. Jesus is asking for nothing different than anything else would ask, and that's the lordship of your life. The question is, are you going to give it to him or are you going to give it to somebody else? I think if we're being honest with ourselves, a lot of us get caught up in giving it to somebody else and giving it to something else and giving it to a habit, and giving it to money, and giving it to a relationship. I don't know what it is for you. 
And some of you, can I tell you, man, the things that you're quote-unquote giving your lordship to aren't necessarily bad things. Man, for some of you, it's serving. And for some of you, it's a spouse, it's a child. I'm not saying those are bad things. What I'm saying is bad things or good things become bad things when they're not God things. Man, if God didn't call you to do that and you're doing it, man, it's not a good thing. Man, you can be serving on greeting team every single week and that's awesome, but if God didn't tell you to do it, that's a bad thing. That's right. It's a good thing, but if God didn't call you to do it, it's a bad thing. And so this morning, man, you should have got a little note card when you came in today. And here's what I want. Man, going into 2024, I want to see a church that Jesus is Lord. And can we be honest with ourselves that there are things that tempt us and there's things that we've put as lords in our life that aren't him. And so just a second, man, I want you to write whatever it is down on your card. And we have these wonderful altars for a reason, so we're going to use them. We're going to bring that card down and you're going to put it here on the altar. And you're not going to tear it up. And you're not going to like scribble so nobody else can read it. Can, can we be honest? If we can't be honest with each other, how are we ever going to live like Jesus called us to out there? How are we ever going to do it? Man, the church is designed to be a loving body that not only reaches the lost, but spurs one another closer to Jesus. So today you're going to write something down on a card. You're going to put it up here at this altar. And we're going to have some people up here, some of our prayer team, up here. And here's what I want. Man, before you leave today, man, go talk to one of them. Go pray with one of them. Invite accountability into your life. Because can we be honest, if it was just a hand raise, we wouldn't really do it. About 90% of New Year's resolutions are gone within the first month. But it's just a resolution that you're like, yeah, cool. I want to do this. Maybe you tell a couple people, nobody holds you accountable. Let them hold you accountable to this. That I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want nothing else to come between me and my relationship with Jesus this year. I want the only focus of my life to be whatever Jesus wants me to do. To go in the direction that Jesus is leading me. That's what I want for 2024. I don't want to look back at 2023. I don't want to look back at old friendships, at old family. I mean, I want to look forward to what Jesus has for me in 2024. I want to follow him with everything within me, every single day. I want to lay it at his feet in 2024. Man, that's the commitment I have. That's what I want to do. And man, I have a church that hopefully is going to help hold me accountable. My hope is that you have a church you can be open and honest with that can hold you accountable. The following Jesus this next year, every day of your life, every day of the year. We have a wonderful Bible plan. Man, if you don't read the Bible, here's your chance. So in just a minute, worship team's going to play. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you. And think about it. 
what do I have a tendency to put above Jesus? For some of you, it's bad things. Man, for some of you, you're like, it's a good thing, but Jesus didn't call me to do it. It's laid at these altars. Man, let's invite accountability into our life. So I'm going to pray. And we'll get started. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. I thank you for all these wonderful congregants, Lord, that made their time, took their time to come here this morning. Lord, a lot of them have plans tonight. Lord, some of them may be traveling. Lord, I pray as the Lord, as we're in the last days of 2023, Lord, we don't wait for 2024 to follow you, Lord, that we make a decision today. Lord, that the only thing we want in 2024 is more of you. The only thing we want in 2024 is everything that you have for us. And Lord, we're willing to give up all that we are for that. Lord, allow us to build relationships with people, Lord, that are going to hold us accountable to following you. They're going to hold us accountable to laying everything down at your feet. Lord, that people that can speak life into us, people that can speak hope into us, Lord, not fear. Lord, let us have courage as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.